I want to talk about what is a, a very important part of our church, and that is the women within our church. We, we, we brushed over it last week. We talked about, if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We talked about 1 Timothy chapter 2 last week, but we thought that we would attack head-on the whole concept that, that a woman is to receive with sub, in, instruction with submission and that she would not be allowed to, to teach or exercise authority over a man. That was in verses 11 and 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And, and, and the whole idea that a woman was to be quiet in, in church and not allowed to speak was an issue that needs to be addressed. It needs to be looked at as a congregation. Because the fact of the matter is, the, the strength of any church is the women. That is for sure. Now, it ought to be the men. God has called us to be the spiritual leaders within our families, within our homes, within our workplaces, and within the church. But every man who is worth his weight in salt knows all that his wife means to him, all that the women of our church mean to us. And so last week we talked about the woman's place within the body and the plan of God. And hopefully you agreed with me as we studied through. We, we cross-referenced 1 Timothy chapter 2 with 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we hopefully agreed when Paul said in verses 11 and 12, here in 1, Corinthians, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But Paul writes in verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. And what we learned last week, what the word for man was, was husband, aner. In the Greek, that is the word aner. It means a woman's husband. She is to remain quiet. What we learned last week that God set in order long ago within marriages, back in the garden, when the woman fell and, 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 and kind of fell into the temptation of Satan there in the garden, that God placed a curse upon a woman, all women. And she, he said that, that, that even though your desire shall be for your husband, yet he shall, he shall uh, control you. He shall rule over you. The husband shall be the one who is the rule over his own wife. And that was a part of the curse. And ladies, I understand that that stings. But God did not want to get away from the whole order of family and church just within the, the confines of a church. And so what we learned last week, hopefully, is that a wife is to remain submissive to her own husband, but not necessarily to other men in general. Yes, of course, all of us are to remain respectful to one another None of us are to be argumentative with one another, whether that be a man to a woman or a woman to a man. It, it, is, it is common sense within the body of Christ. But for a woman to participate within the church, there are only the limits that God himself has put in place that, that, that is there before any woman. She can rise within the church to any level whatsoever except that of pastor-elder. God placed that in, in the whole system of, of the church structure. Take a look with me, please, at chapter 3, just for a quick moment. We'll see it next week again. In chapter 3 and verse 2, it says an overseer, that is a pastor, that is an elder. An overseer must be above reproach. That person must be the husband of one wife. And so we see, of course, that is to be a man 
who is temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, other than those two positions, a pastor and an elder, any woman, whether she be single or married, may rise as far as the Spirit of God allows her within the framework of a church. And we do not try to hold any woman back. In fact, I really respect what Dr. J. Vernon McGee says. It's, it would be a foolish church that would, that would stymie the, 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 the very spiritual gifts of the women within its framework. Now, I want you to know that there are some churches that teach differently. We do not. We hold to the fact that the women are of, of utmost importance here and that the only, only position that they cannot hold is pastor elder. And, and I want you to see the, the position statement that we have of women in ministry. I want to put it up on the board for you to, to, to note. Women may teach here at this church in mixed groups. Women may teach in every situation, but only under the leadership of elders and pastors. Now, that goes for every person. That goes for me. I, I do not run haphazard over what I try to teach. I have, a, I have a group of people that lead me and help me. I have a group of people that I fall under authority to. Everybody ought to within the framework of a church. And so it doesn't fall just to women. It falls to all of us. And so it is, as you can read, it is the position of the Rock Community Church that men will perform the role of primary leadership within our church. Women will not be ordained as elders and or pastors. Men will lead in every part of our regularly scheduled corporate worship services. Women can coordinate parts or of the regularly scheduled worship services, whether it be music, whether it be communion, whether it be ushering. A woman may teach and equip at a mixed gender event other than corporate worship service. And both men and women within the framework of the Rock Community Church can serve as deacons and deaconesses. And so the... The bar is, is wide open for a woman. God has placed the only, uh, the only standard that we must stop to, and that is pastor-elder. Now, I want you to read with me again in 1 Timothy chapter 2. What I want to do is to free up the women of this church, and I want to explain what is being said here because it's very it's very understandable. There is one difficult verse, and I, and I found it very difficult to find enough commentaries to help me through verse 15. It seemed like almost every time I came to verse 15, each commentator went numb. They just didn't say anything. And so I was trying with all of my heart to find out, what does this mean? What is Scripture telling us? Because I don't like to duck and hide from anything that we study here at church. I want us to understand, what do we believe in? What is it that we believe that God is saying to us? And I believe that all of this is very explanatory. Very, uh, we can explain it very easily. Verse 15 I wrestled with. I must admit to you all week. I think I have my handle on it. But let's take a look and see. Read with me verses 8 through 15. Therefore, Paul writes, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, he says in verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as befits a woman making a claim to godliness. 
Again, we read before, let's read again, verses 11 and 12. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over her husband, a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity and with self-restraint. Dear Father, we come to this place in Scripture and I believe you will open it up as, as wonderfully as ought to be that we might understand exactly what it is we have for the women of our church and how important each of them are. And Father, we will see next week as we, we go on to further study of what, what a man uh, ought to look like within the framework of a church. And so, Father, you bring into, into order what it is within a, the whole idea of worshiping together, men and women side by side, working hand in hand, reaching towards the common goal of drawing people to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Father, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Thank you so much for the worship music that we've had. Thank you so much for our time together to this point. And Father, may, it, may we bless you. May we worship you. May we praise your holy and righteous name. And may you, Father, move me aside so that the things that are said might might fall on ears that are fresh to hear the very truth of your words. We pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Let's begin with verse 8. It's really important. Paul says, I, I want, he says, I want the men in every pray place to pray. The word want there is critical. In the Greek it is B-O-U. L-O-M-A-I. It, it translates really, I command. And so Paul begins by saying, I, I'm, not, I'm not urging you, gentlemen. Um, I, I'm, I'm not encouraging you, gentlemen. I, I am commanding you, gentlemen, in every place to pray. Now, the phrase in every place is extremely important because it is found four times in the New Testament. And each time it refers to the church. It is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and here. And all four times it refers to Paul commanding men to pray in the church. So obviously there is a great importance upon our praying within the framework of this building, this body of believers lifting up, it says, holy hands. Now that's really important. Paul's emphasis in verse 8 is lifting up holy hands is not necessarily our particular posture for praying. Yes, we encourage you here at this church to pray whatever way you wish. If you want to lift up your hands, go for it. If you want to fall on your face before God, go for it. We want you to worship God the way that you feel comfortable. But what Scripture is teaching here is that although we are to lift up holy hands, what He is asking us to do is to, is to give to our Lord that is, which is very acceptable. Our hands are to symbolize the activities of our lives. Our, act, our activities are to be holy before the Lord. Yesterday, or actually not now, yesterday, Friday, I had one of those, one of those great, great days that I, I think 
all of us have from time to time. It's just one of those moments in life of, of praying for our family. Uh, this past week, Wednesday, both of our grandchildren, Kay's and my grandkids, both Alex and Dylan, turned uh, 6 and 12 on the 11th, both of them. So instead of having the birthday on that day, they had a birthday at their pool, common pool, uh, Friday. And so in the morning, Dylan was able to invite all of his six-year-old friends. And they were just all over that place. There was sand. There was water. They were jumping slides. They were having a ball. And then my daughter-in-law did one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. Now, for some of you ladies, you've probably done this before. I've never seen it done before. She had a big jar of coins, quarters, nickels, pennies, dimes. And we went to the side of the pool, and she took her hand in there, and I said, oh, no, she's not going to do this, is she? And she threw the money in the pool, and I wanted to dive in. I'm I'm very frugal. I didn't want to. She threw all the money in the pool, and she put some on the steps for the kids that couldn't swim so well. And then she gave every one of Dylan's friends a little bucket with their name on it. And they had this little handle, and they put it beside the pool. And then she said, okay, go. And they started diving for that money. I'm telling you, it was like 15 minutes. It was like a vacuum cleaner went on that thing. It, they cleaned it out. And I must say, I was telling Neil this last night, I was so proud of my grandson. He, he only picked up quarters. That's, what, that's the only thing he dove for. And he had a bucket full of quarters. And I thought to myself, as I was watching these kids just swim on the bottom of that pool and just each of them having the time of their lives and how wise it was for her to put some of the the coins on the steps because not all the kids could swim, swim exactly the same. And as I was watching them for these 10, 15, 20 minutes, I, I found myself praying for them consistently, over and over and over. At first, of course, I was praying for my grandson. And then I started praying for all of them. There was one little kid named Charlie. Oh, my God, I wanted to take him home. This little kid, Charlie, was adorable. And he was hanging on to the side, and he couldn't swim so well. And I, I'd, come here, Charlie. There's a, there's, and I helped him find a coin on the steps. And I was praying for these kids over and over and over again. And I was thinking of what the lesson was going to be this week of of lifting up holy hands unto the Lord. In other words, my hands were to symbolize my activities. They were to symbolize my heart. You see, holy hands here in verse 8 represents a holy lifestyle, which is a prerequisite, by the way, for effective prayers. Look with me, please. Hold your place here. There's only two places we're going to turn to today. One is Psalms 66. Hold your place here and turn to the middle of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. Look with me, please, at Psalm 66, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what the psalmist says about prayers. He says in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard wickedness in my heart, what does it say? The Lord will what? He will not. He will not hear my prayers. He goes on to say in verse 19, But certainly God has heard. He has guided. He has given, oh, he has given heed to the voice of my prayer. You see, 
when you go to the Lord in prayer, I'm sure you do the same thing. When I go to the Lord in prayer, I never go to the Lord haphazardly. I never go to the Lord just praying. I, I go to the Lord, Lord, is, is there anything in my life, is there anything in my heart that might separate me from you, that might separate me from allowing you to hear everything I want to say about my grandson or my, my granddaughter or, or, or my, my children or my wife or my, or my church or you? Is there anything that would separate me from you, dear Lord? And it's automatic for me to, 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 when I think of you in prayer, when I go to the computer and study during, at the beginning of the week, when I, I just, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing I do. It's just automatic. I, I can't open my computer without thinking about you. And automatically I ask, Lord, is there any sin that you, that you might reveal in my heart so that I, 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 I might not be hindering what I want to say to you, Lord, or how I want to study or what I want you to teach me, dear Lord? Open up my eyes, I often pray, Lord, that you might reveal to me wonderful things from your law. Father, forgive me of my sin, I say often. If there's any sin that, that is revealed to me by the, by the Holy Spirit, I confess it so that I, I, I would allow the Lord to hear my prayers for you, for my children, for whatever it is that God has asked me to pray for. In verse 8, if you go back, please, to 1 Timothy, I... I, 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 I love the word holy there. It translates H-O-S-I-O-S. -O -S. It means unpolluted. It means unstained by evil. Those, so those who do pray must be characterized by not having, as it says in verse 8, wrath or dissension. Wrath is unconfessed sin within our hearts. Dissension is conflict or discord amongst them amongst whomever, our family members, our friends, our loved ones. Hopefully, as I mentioned last night to, to Billy, I know he's a part of our, our prayer team. And, and I, I mentioned to him, hopefully, the prayer warriors of our church, those who gather together and pray for you and me as a body of believers. That is their ministry, that their hearts would be holy, that their hands would be holy, that they would lift up before the Lord holy hands so that their prayers may be heard for us and what God is doing in this church. Okay, that's verse 8. It's critical to understand that verse because to understand verse 8, we will understand what the Lord is now going to say to the women of our church. Note how verse 9 begins. Likewise, in other words, what I have just said to the men, I'm going to say to the women as well. Likewise, he says, I want the women. The word want there is the same word want in verse 8. In other words, Paul commands these same things from the women within the church. What Paul allows us to see is that God wants the same for the women as he does for the men within the church of Christ. And Paul turns the subject, though, of of women in worship addressing their appearance and their attitudes in verses 9 through 15. He considers first and foremost the matter of dress, their, their outward appearance. We're going to see why in a second. It's critical to understand why, because it fit in well with those times. Look what it says in verse 9 and 10. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, 
He mentions not with braided hair, nor gold, nor pearls, nor costly garments. But rather, he says, by means of good works, as it's proper for a woman making a claim to godliness. Now, I don't know. I don't know exactly why verses 9 and 10 stand out as they do. Perhaps, just perhaps, some of the women were drawing too much attention to themselves by the way they dressed, but I, I, I don't believe that was the reason. I believe there's a much deeper reason than that. Paul urges modesty and respectability, and he gives advice by such practical details as how you, they, they, they do their hair, their, the jewelry that they wear, the dresses that they wear. We need to realize that Paul is not against these things, not at all. He urges, though, the greater value within a life, a, a godly life. That's what Paul is urging. In other words, our good deeds are to be more eye-fetching than our outward appearances. There's a place in Scripture that, that my Bible almost turns to automatically. It's in 1 Peter. It, it's talking about husbands and wives. And, and I did so much counseling at first with the athletes that, that just right now, my Bible turned to 1 Peter chapter 3. It just does. Uh, and it, it talks about how a woman is to be submissive, and then it also talks in verse 7 how a husband likewise is to live with his wife in an understanding way. But listen to Peter's words to a woman in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and they, 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 they fit in with what Paul is teaching here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, your adornment, talking to the ladies, must not be merely external. Now, you need to, you need to see that. Not be merely external, meaning... It, you can, it can be external, but it shouldn't be merely external. In other words, he's not saying that you shouldn't dress to the best of what you have. Not at all. It, but it shouldn't merely be external. And then he goes on to mention what Paul does, the braiding of your hair, or the wearing of gold jewelry, or, or putting on the dresses. But rather, he says in verse 4, let it be the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. You see, I believe the true meaning, the, the true issue at hand here in this passage, passage in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, is not so much what the women were wearing in the church at Ephesus and the surrounding areas, but rather what the women were wearing in Rome at that time in places where there were false Worship of false gods. In the Roman world at that time, where, where now the church is being established in Ephesus and in, in Corinth and, 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 the, and these places of Rome, the female became a very important part of all heathen religion practices. Women occupied a very prominent place in these places of worship. For instance, in Corinth, the worship Aphrodite was one of the most immoral of all religious ceremonies that anyone could ever attend. Their religious ceremonies were filled with women of the night, let's just say. They had actually made their way into this so-called religious practice that these so-called, at that time, vestal virgins 
who were in the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth were nothing more than women of the night. And they were characterized by all things, can you only imagine, by the way they did their hair and their outward appearances, the jewelry that they wore, the clothing that they wore. Same thing was true in Ephesus, by the way, at the temple of Diana. The women there occupied a very prominent position and their dress and their hair and their appearance is what set them apart. And because of these heathen practices, I believe Paul is emphasizing in this passage and also Peter in 1 Peter that the matter of a woman's appearance was critical to public prayer and to worship within the services that honored Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Consequently, ladies, women were asked to be especially careful at that time of how they dressed and how they went to church. We went over last week verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. We said that a woman who is to be quiet and submissive was a woman who was married to her own husband. She need not be quiet and submissive to other men other than just respectfully just as a man would be to a woman. And so what God teaches us out of the Word of God is that a woman has as much a part in God's worship as any man. This is what Dr. J. Vernon McGee wrote. Listen, and please listen closely. He says, A church will miss something tremendously if they will not use the spiritual gifts of the women. God can, he says, God will, he says, use a woman to fulfill his ministry role. I believe that. We believe that here at this church with all of our hearts. Which bumps us now into verse 15. What in the world was Paul saying? What, what was he, what, why did he throw in verse 15? And, and, and why wouldn't most of the commentaries write on it? I want to know. And so they left me kind of alone with this verse. And it is a difficult passage indeed. It says a woman, verse 15, will be preserved through the bearing of children if, if she will continue in faith and love and sanctify with self-restraint. The word self-restraint there is the same word in verse 9, which is discreet. I believe key to this passage is the one word preserved. It's the one that I could find that kind of, kind of you could grab a hold of and, and, and kind of figure out what is it that Paul is saying here when he says a woman is going to be preserved. The word preserved in the Greek is S-O-Z-O. It is the common New Testament word for salvation. But it also can mean to rescue another. It also can mean to preserve safe and unharmed or to heal it also can mean to set free or to deliver from. Paul seems to be teaching you and me that although a woman was the one who brought sin into this world when she fell temptation to Satan in the garden, and although a woman is to bear that responsibility, yet a woman and we are preserved or saved from that stigma through childbearing. 
I wasn't happy with where that was. Something inside here said, it wasn't only the woman's fault. I remember reading somewhere in Scripture that, that, that Adam was to take blame as well. And I found it. I found it in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, Paul places Adam in full responsibility of the sin as well. Paul places the introduction of sin into the world firmly upon Adam's shoulders just as well as Eve's. And so Paul's point, it appears to me, is that while a woman may have led us into sin back in the garden, she now has the privilege of leading the race out of sin to godliness. And to do that, I believe Paul is saying in verse 15, a woman through childbearing, must continue in faith and in love. She must sanctify and live with self-restraint. It's the same word for living discreetly in verse 9. Listen, ladies, and please understand, I believe what Paul is saying to you as a group of people. There is no greater role upon our church than women within the church. You're continuing on in faith and love and, and sanctity and self-restraint. You're giving of, of bearing children is a whole part of our salvation, a whole part of who we are as men. Paul seems to be saying to the women that your appearance, your demeanor, be, your behavior within the family of God and within your family at home becomes a part of our deliverance as you live out a godly life all along raising godly children. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it Friday with my daughter-in-law. I saw the way she was handling the kids. Now, my son was there and I was there. You know how much we did? This much. This much. She did it all. The food, the games, the coordinating it all. And I watched her with her kids and I thought, that's it. That's it, ladies. You bring a gentleness. You bring a... I don't know all that you bring because I'm not a woman. You do it. As you live out a godly life, helping us raise godly children, you've made this church into a better place than it ever could possibly ever be without you. God bless the women of our church. Gentlemen, we ought to honor them. I, I wrote my daughter-in-law a text later that day and saying, I, I worship the ground that you walk on. I love you so much. She gets it because I've told her this a dozen times more of what she's meant to our family and what she's meant to my son. Ladies, we love you so much here. We want you to raise to as high a level as you can possibly go. Serving the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. 
I believe and I know that you're up to, to it. I know that you'll do great things here at this church. I've seen you. Next week, gentlemen, it's, the ball falls firmly in our court. It's going to start in chapter 3 by saying it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a, it's a fine work that he desires to do. There's a, a call for us as men as well. It's interesting how God has it fit together, men and women. All of our rough edges, and all of you ladies smoothing us out, helping us to be the men that we ought to be, whether you're single or, or married, relevant. There's a woman that I work with side by side that I would never be the same without her. And um, I think she knows that. Ladies, thank you for blessing this church. I pray that us men will live up to the role that we have and to help you to make this place all that you want it to be for your children, for us, for yourselves. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will bless the wonderful women of this church. I thank you for this lesson. I I see how it fits together. I, Paul was encouraging the women, be careful how you dress because there's other women out there that are really dressing poorly for a reason. And you must not be associated with them. And so, Father, please bless us as we go from here today. Thank you for the, the worship music, Father. Whoa, so great. I wouldn't blame any of us if we came back and Heard it again. And now, Father, take us to wherever you're going to take us. And may we be a blessing, Father, to those that we come in contact with. And may we as men go out of our way to thank the women of this church for who they are. Thank you, Father, for all things. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I love you all so much. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Anthony, thank you guys for that great music.